0: Welcome, 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 Blastoids, to a very special Blast Zone episode. Episode? I said that with a Z. That's weird. This is our
1: most special episode. (laughs) Welcome.
0: We've wrapped up Blastober. We're done with the horror movies. We thought before we jump back into our regularly scheduled programming, we would fulfill a long promised... Promise? I'm all over the place tonight. (laughs) That's what happens. And do a mailbag episode. We got some questions from you guys. We're very excited to go over them and... Fill in some gaps in your knowledge of our movie-going tastes and stuff in general.
1: We're a little loose tonight. We're not that prepared. I think what you do is first you do the feed bag, then you do the mail bag, and then you get into the sleeping bag. So we're right in between those two parts of the night, right between dinner and bedtime. We're going to bust off some questions and answers. We call this, uh, we don't have a cute name for it.
0: The Blast Bag? Blast Bag is good. It sounds like a puke bag you get on like an, aer- the an airplane. the problem with
1: everything we put blast on. It sounds gross yeah. in some way or another.
0: The mail zone sounds like
1: a dude strip club. <laughs> Welcome to the mail zone. I thought a BMA, Blast Me Anything. Okay, Blast Me Anything. I like that. That's kind of what we're doing, right? We got all kinds of questions. Some of them are personal. Some of them are movie trivia. We'll take them all.
0: Well, the first one's a doozy. I got this question for multiple people. So is Ian okay? I think people are getting worried about you.
1: Man, we're starting right with the hardest questions first. I'm okay. I'm fine, I think. <laughs> think the, the important thing is someone asked this. Thank you for caring. I'm all right. I'm better just knowing that someone asked. That makes my day. So yeah, I'm thinking of launching a second podcast that's just called Is Ian Okay? Each week I'll pick a topic of interest and then I'll just weep quietly for 40 minutes.
0: You're like the Bones Dog. Do you know about the Bones Dog? Oh, who's the Bones Dog? So there's this a little pug on TikTok. He's ancient, like 13, oh. 14 years old. And every day in the morning, his owner picks him up and he says, it's going to be a bones or a no bones day. Because if he puts him down and he just melts <laughs> into a puddle, it's a no bones day. It's almost like when the groundhog sees a shadow. Yeah, like, I love that. If it's a no bones day, it's going to be like a lazy day. But if it's a bones day and he actually props himself up on his own legs, it's like, all right, you got to get it done today. You got to have a good day. Oh
1: man, what a way to live your life. I love this. I got to get back on TikTok. I'm missing out on <laughs> spiritual guidance.
0: But I'll start <laughs> tweeting from the Twitter account, like, is he you know Kate, day. Everyone can base their day check, on that. Yeah, just
1: do a check-in now and then. <laughs> That's really nice thank you friends who, who asked about me i'm doing better because of you
0: all right so let's jump into the i don't want to say the real questions because is Ian okay <laughs> is absolutely a real question that we got from a few people so we tried to attribute these to the writer when we could there's a couple i could not source i know i had them, okay but the, the first two i couldn't find who wrote them in so my apologies but if you did feel free to reach out on twitter and let us know it's a uh, which bomb do you think was most fucked over by opening against tough competition either like a movie that was Going up against the same audience that just had a bigger draw, or for whatever reason had a bad opening day with whatever else was in theaters at the time. What do you got for me?
1: Yeah, this is a good question because we talk about it all the time. We're not that technical, but we love to speculate on shit that we don't know that much about. It's the American way. And we're going to do <laughs> some more of it here. So, as far as the most fucked over, I don't know. The one that comes to mind as just the competition that I wouldn't want was for The Thing, which we did recently. It's mm-hmm. probably not really why the movie failed because the movie had a lot of other the reasons why it was hated and despised and feared and loathed, but- In Las Vegas and other places. And and in Antarctica (laughs) and worldwide- But it opened against Blade Runner, man, which didn't do well either. But God, what a thing to be a sci-fi filmmaker and just, oops, we just stumbled across an all-time classic. Even if you made an all-time classic, which we tend to think that Carpenter did with this one. But
0: I think they're both all-time classics. Yeah, it's hard to argue. that. Yeah, but
1: for me, Blade Runner is on a really elevated plane. And then in that summer, Poltergeist, E.T., Wrath of Khan all came out within a few weeks before the thing. And Tron came out a couple weeks after. So like, what a summer of movies! Movies overall, it's pretty awesome, but what a hard time with a tough movie to find an audience. So that was just a fun thing to look back on that year.
0: I tend to agree that was a big problem, but for me, this is another one we covered, and maybe this is just our knowledge base is stronger in the episodes we've researched exhaustively, which would make a lot of sense. But I've got to say, it's Last Action Hero because you're a PG 13 action movie. So you're walking the line of you want to be for kids and adults. You have a lot of bad buzz going into your release. There's been stories. The movie's rushed. People aren't getting along. The script's a mess. They're reshooting right up to release date.
1: Schwarzenegger is a has-been.
0: Right. A lot of different narratives going on around this movie. And then a week before you're due to drop, Jurassic Park comes out and is like, we're going to come out June 11th. You're coming out June 18th. And they did give them a few months notice, but the hubris of Columbia Pictures was like, no, we're going to stick with our original date and we're going to go for right. it. And that was a nail in the coffin. If you had your choice, and we didn't hate Last Action Hero. We kind of liked it. No. But if you had your choice between Jurassic Park and Last Action Hero, it's not even a question. Right? And then yeah. another one we did recently was Adam's Family Value going up against Mrs. Doubtfire. I don't know if people just mm-hmm. didn't expect Mrs. Doubtfire to be the juggernaut that it was, but it definitely dominated the family movie box office that entire summer and further on. So uh, there was really no place for Adam's Family Values to go from there, even though that's a great movie. It's funny
1: to think of Mrs. Doubtfire. It's like a buzzsaw to run into, but I guess.
0: It did. It made a ton of money, man. It made $450 million in 1993. That's a That's lot. That's crazy
1: of money. money, man.
0: With a $25 million budget. There's no way they expected that. No. They might have thought they had a hit on their hands, but that just is up and beyond. Yeah, a
1: goofy little family movie. That's wild.
0: Super dysfunctional, too. Adam's Family Values, for all its dark and dreary imagery, it's about a nice family. Mrs. Doubtfire, he's a fucking sociopath <laughs> in that movie. Yeah, Just gaslighting his entire family, trying to poison Pierce Brosnan, kill it's him. It's like,
1: yeah, weird mirror <laughs> images. One looks good and is bad, and one looks evil and is actually incredibly wholesome at its core. Exactly.
0: But yeah, it's fun to think about the implications of if these movies had dropped at different times, would we be talking about them at all? Yeah. Or would they be massive hits? So speaking of 1993, it ties in nicely to our next question. Do you like and or fear covering bombs that you have personal nostalgic attachments to?
1: I kind of love it. What do you think?
0: I'm a little... Torn on it. I do feel like it makes it harder to be objective at times. You have this predisposition to either like or dislike a movie if you watched a lot growing up in a different time of your life, different mindset. It's always going to bring you back to that point of time. Like, for instance, Clue, you didn't have really an attachment to it. Right. You were a little more lukewarm on it than I was. It was one of the formative movies of my youth. watched it probably twice a week for years. So I don't know. If I just watched it for the first time as an adult, would I have that same reaction? But then I look at Last Action Hero, not to bring that up again, but... That's another movie I watched constantly as a kid, and I think I was able to be fair with it. So I don't know. It's hard to say. It is fun when it's a movie you haven't checked in with in a long time. Yeah. It's interesting to see if it hits all those same pleasure centers that you associate with it from childhood or from early adulthood. But yeah, some of these movies I haven't seen in 20 years. Yeah. And I'm not that old, so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, in general, this pod is an excuse for us to go back to some of these movies. And sometimes we're doing movies that we have no relationship with. But when we go to the ones that we do, and that's neat, because when else do you get to formally sit down with favorite stuff from your youth and take a a really deep Reevaluation of it. All my opinions, I don't believe any of them are objective. I'm very good at rationalizing and coming up with explanations for my skewed worldview, but it's all just me blabbing on as I'm doing right now. So it's fun to do. I feel the pressure if it's a nostalgic movie for me, and I know it's a nostalgic movie for a lot of people. Some of these movies are big and important to a lot of people. That's where I feel like, oh boy, now I have to do some justice to it. We have to make sure that we cover the movie in depth in the right way and talk about all the issues and not forget to mention this or that thing. And I feel that pressure more when it's a big heavy hitter movie that has a lot of fans versus some of the movies we do are kind of chunky. And then I go in like, fuck this, whatever.
0: Yeah, there's not a lot of people standing up for Dreamcatcher.
1: That was a free for all. Even though I
0: think that movie has its merits as just a complete drunken disaster of a watch. But you bring up a good point is like how we watch these movies. If I were to throw on Clue as an adult, I'd probably watch it pretty like non-critically. Right. i just throw it on to try to press those same buttons that I remember from youth. When I'm watching it for the podcast, I have to be a little more critical and a little more in-depth at what's actually going on in the movie, what kind of decisions the filmmakers are taking. And it completely changes the viewing experience. So I can see how that would challenge the notions I've developed over the years about specific movies. But so far, I haven't run up against any beloved movies from childhood that I end up hating on a rewatch, which is good. But I'm sure it'll happen
1: eventually. Nothing you've had to walk away from or disavow. So it's a good sign.
0: So far, we're only like 36, 37 episodes deep yeah. as of this recording. So I'm sure it'll come up at some point. <laughs> All right. Our, our buddy, Pat's a tweeting at Pat's a tweeting on Twitter asked what cult classic is treated like as good, but is actually just bad. Spicy question. We're going to make some people mad with this one.
1: I hope you will. I'm interested to hear what you have to say because you're a much deeper movie buff than I am and have a larger catalog in your brain of what are the cult classics and you're likely to have a good, strong opinion. I'm sure there's some hipstery ones that I haven't even seen that if I did see, I would not like and not join the bandwagon. But right. All I could think of that I have a strong opinion on is Dune. And it's hard for me to even believe <laughs> that some people do see that as a classic but I know that there are some people, and if anyone out there does think it's good, they're mistaken. It is bad, in fact.
0: I actually really hate that movie, (laughs) to be clear, because by the time this releases, the new Dune will be out. We have not seen 2021's Dune yet. We're talking about the 1984 David Lynch version that we covered on the podcast. Oh man, I hate that movie.
1: (laughs) But I'm sure you have even more spicy opinions on some other ones.
0: My first one is probably going to make some people mad. It's okay to like this movie, Just because I don't doesn't mean I'm saying you're wrong for liking it. But man, I do not like Brazil at all.
1: Ooh, interesting.
0: (laughs) I think it is just like a bloated, indulgent mess. I think it's trying to walk the line. Like it's science fiction, drama, comedy, black comedy, satire. It's trying to do too much. It's dystopia. It's Mm. throwing too many things at the viewer. It's. Bloated. It's two and a half hours. And apparently it was cut to shit to get to two and a half hours. I don't know. The movie just does nothing for me. I've watched it maybe three times in my life, just trying to see what's wrong with me that I can't get into it. Every single time I walk away from it underwhelmed. And I do like Terry Gilliam as a filmmaker. I really enjoy a lot of his other movies. So it's not that I have a bias against him, even though he's reportedly a bit of a shithead. Um, like, I really like 12 Monkeys. That that was like a formative sci-fi movie of my youth. I did like that but too. But yeah. no, I just, I can't get into Brazil. And my other one is Idiocracy. And uh-huh. it's not so much that I don't like the movie. I just feel like it's been held up on a pedestal too high. Yeah. Because it's not that revolutionary. It's really not as smart as people on the internet will try to tell you it is. It's just, it's a a silly little movie that was prescient enough to see where we were heading as a society, but you didn't need a fucking magnifying glass or a microscope to see that we were dumbing ourselves down at that point in time. So it took a good observation and ran with it, but I'm just so sick of, this is just like idiocracy, (laughs) like the comments. Every time something happens, that's- quote unquote dumb, Yeah, it's getting out of hand. And so again, it's not a movie I hate. I just hate the discourse around it. Yeah, I know what you
1: mean. It's overinflated. It's funny, the other movie that's overinflated for its portrayal of something is probably Office Space. Do you know? How- yeah,
0: I generally enjoy office space more than idiocracy. But yeah, it's it's another one that just kind of...
1: <laughs> Isn't that inter- interesting? That, like, is that Mike Judge's talent at like crystallizing things in a way that people latch onto and just want to beat until a horse is dead and gone?
0: You know, he never seems to have success at the box office, but all his films find an audience later on. I don't know why that is. You raise an interesting question that I haven't formed yeah. an answer on yet, but I wonder what it is about him of finding the profundity in these, these mundane things. Yeah, he's
1: good at certain things. He strikes a chord with people
0: all right my fellow a stoner friend video james yes. from twitter good friend. Our buddy james Wanted to know our favorite at home movie meal. So, if you had all your druthers, you could get whatever you wanted for dinner. You're going to sit down, watch a movie. What's your snack look like? I'm going
1: to say my go to is pizza and wings. It's very straightforward, predictable. It's just for me, it hits all the pleasure centers, the salty, spicy, ranchy pleasure centers that are deep in my brain that need to be triggered. It gives me a little bit of everything. It doesn't really give me a little bit of everything. It gives me the same two things.
0: (laughs) It's not giving you any vegetables or any (laughs) fiber. Uh,
1: I said that. And I'm like, that is absolutely wrong way to describe it. It's giving me two flavors of the same thing, which is hot and salty and and fatty. And I love it. And my girlfriend and I both are amenable to the same order. So it's something we can eat together and enjoy a movie together.
0: That is great. Yeah. Pizza and wings is a classic. You can't go wrong with that for lounging in front of the TV. I would say for football watching, I gravitate towards pizza and wings. Mm -hmm. For movie watching though, it's like American Chinese food is is where I go to. Those really like greasy, crunchy chicken wings you get with some dumplings little bit of sesame chicken or just those dishes that are mostly like sugar and cornstarch slurry and a little bit of pepper thrown in there for spice. I don't know. It's my thing. If the kids are in bed or they're at their grandparents for the night and I'm going to sit down and watch a movie, I'm getting just a disgusting amount of (laughs) Chinese food. I want them to send me like four fortune cookies because that's how many people (laughs) they think are eating with just you and
1: they estimated four.
0: Yeah. So that's what I'm looking for. If I get less than three fortune cookies, I'm like, I failed today. I didn't have the eye of the tiger. So that's my preference. Kind of standard answers, but that's
1: okay. Okay. Nothing shocking in there, but movies are a kind of comfort food. And so why not have comfort food
0: along some with Some movies are comfort food. Some movies are. Yeah, don't uh, do Event
1: Horizon. <laughs> you should probably fast before that movie.
0: Yeah, no pizza <laughs> and wings while watching Event Horizon. Maybe on the fifth time you're watching it if you're used to looking it. Looking at your
1: slice of pepperoni and then looking up at Sam Neill's scarred body. I'm like, well, these things are really similar.
0: Somebody like elbow deep in <laughs> somebody's throat for some reason, chewing on hands. <laughs> Our friend Nash Flynn, good old Nash, wants to know... How much do you love The Mummy on a scale of 10 to 10? And do you support Brendan Fraser in all things?
1: Not a lot of wiggle room in this question, (laughs) Nash. What's the deal?
0: No, it's a bit of a loaded question.
1: I don't know if I can go with her on the premise. I I found The Mummy to be nice, fun little movie. Good, clean, sandy, fun. And uh, I like Brendan Fraser. Fraser? Does he say Fraser or Fraser? I don't know that. I don't know. I've always said it, Fraser. Yeah. I think I probably have, too.
0: Like the Kelsey Grammer character. Yeah, yeah. I pronounce
1: it the same way. I don't know
0: if that's correct, but that's how I've heard many people pronounce it, so I'm going with it. Yeah.
1: He was fun at the time. He has a weird core of sadness running through him. I don't know if that was always true about him or if that became evident later on in his life and his career. I feel like he's maybe been through some things in recent years.
0: He has, yeah. Google his story of... His semi—how do I even say this? Semi-blackballing from Hollywood.
1: Oh, okay. like He
0: had his own little Me Too moment, but as, as a victim. Oh. And had a very sketchy run-in with a powerful producer at an award show, and called him out on it, and was basically cast out of Hollywood for a little while because of it. Until people started holding these powerful men wow. more accountable for their actions, and then he also had a, a hefty alimony payment. I think a, a divorce settlement that he had to pay, and then stopped working and that put him in some financial trouble. So yeah, he had a rough decade or so, but he's back now. He's working pretty steadily. He's been in some fun movies. I loved him in No Sudden Move. That was and fun. he's got more stuff coming out. So yeah, we love Brendan Fraser. But on the question of The Mummy specifically, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> I don't hate it. Those first two movies were okay. Rachel Weisz in those movies was special to me as a young man, definitely awoken something. Anyway. <laughs> and so did Brendan Fraser a little bit, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. like He's a very striking man in those days. Yeah, And the CGI has not aged great. I don't
1: know if you've seen any of them. No, but I can picture what you mean. And that was never the strong point of those movies. You had to go with it, but it fit with the tone of the movies, those movies just had a really good sense of humor, and it caught people by surprise who, when a Mummy remake was announced, they were expecting something very dry and dusty in Boris Karloff, and they got something very light and fun and funny in a cool, surprising way.
0: Yeah, it had more of an Indiana Jones yeah. tempo to it and tone, but you know, not quite on that level. I don't want to draw too many comparisons, not, but not quite definitely there, felt but- it was a fun little... Desert Romp. Yeah. Certainly nothing wrong with it. I would love to revisit those one day. And then what you're talking about, more of a dusty, serious Mummy remake, we did end up getting as well with the Tom Cruise one. Oh, yeah. And that didn't go over very well. So maybe we'll talk about that one in depth someday.
1: Yeah, that'll be fun. I liked some things about that one. I seem to recall. I didn't. Spend a lot of time with it, but
0: not terrible. I'm a Jake Johnson stan. Like I'm yeah. a big fan of his. So I, anything he's in gets like a little bump up in my book. But yeah, it wasn't totally successful, but it did some things pretty well. For sure. All right. So what's a greenhorn at what's a greenhorn on Twitter asked, are there any sequels better than the originals? And to do it on hard mode? No Godfather. I know that you were itching to pull the Godfather Two trigger out here. I was but no. I
1: didn't know the hard mode had been switched on, so I was just gonna cruise in here with Godfather Two yeah. blasting.
0: Get that shit out of here! Swatted away. No um, Godfather two. I don't even necessarily agree with that though. I think I like the first one more. But they really are like two halves of one whole. Yeah, you're better off just watching both of them like back yeah. to back.
1: They're both parts of the same book, which kicks ass too. If anyone hasn't read the original Mario Puzo, mm-hmm. and yeah,
0: whole subplot about Sonny's gigantic shlong. Though, right? <laughs> isn't that a isn't that a whole part of that book? Stuff.
1: There's a plastic surgeon, if I'm remembering.
0: Yeah, he repairs Sonny's wife's vagina because yeah. he's ruined it with his gigantic wiener. This is not. I'm not making this up. This is real this actually happens. Back me up. No, the, you
1: you're absolutely right. I remember it the same way. <laughs> and if I recall, Coppola was going to make that part three was going to just be that. And uh, he couldn't get the funding oh, yeah? for some reason.
0: All right. So my real answer. Okay. We've already covered Adam's family value. So, you know, that one is high on my list as being better than Adam's I'm family. I'm on board with that. One, I also, sure. this one's a little more controversial. I think Wayne's world 2 is better than the first Wayne's world. Okay. It really leans into this surreal, Lynchian weirdness. It's a lot of fun. I just love how it feels like a dream the whole time, and there are actual dream sequences in it, but it it feels like they were bored with doing another Wayne's World movie, so they decided, fuck it, we're going to get really strange. And they did, and it works. It's hilarious, and actually also a bomb, so we could talk about it.
1: Yeah, this is not the first time you brought it up. I'm going to have to see it. I never saw it. I saw Wayne's World, and that's where I stopped. I said, that is my Wayne's World canon. I was not ready to accept a sequel, but it sounds like I should be the more open to it.
0: Yeah. Open yourself up to the pleasures <laughs> of Wayne's World 2. Chris Farley plays a roadie and there's an older British roadie who is one of the best movie characters of all time, okay. I would say. So if you guys haven't checked out Wayne's World 2 or haven't checked it out in a while, at least give it a watch. I really love it. But then the more conventional stuff is like Aliens. I'm more of a fan of Aliens than Alien, even okay. though they're wildly different movies. Sure, One's kind of an atmospheric haunted house in space, almost like a slasher because yeah. there's big monsters stalking with all the crew members and then Aliens is just
1: space marines wild
0: action space marines yeah super fun james cameron just Given a bunch of money and told to go make his dreams come true.
1: Yeah, fun in very different ways. That's totally justifiable.
0: It it really is. They're both fantastic. Obviously, it's just a matter of what you go for. Terminator Two is is commonly brought up. The first Terminator has its charms, but I don't think it's really close in my book. And then Evil Dead is my final choice. I think because Evil Dead Two is just retelling the story from Evil Dead, but with better budget, an actual budget, and and and... a little more filmmaking prowess under Raimi's belt. He he had gotten his. his They were able to
1: actually feed the actors and. Crazy Hollywood stuff like that, not starve and freeze their cat. Exactly. They had craft <laughs>
0: services and it comes across on the screen. They're much, much happier. So yeah, that those are my choices. What have you got for them? I'm going to fight you on them, by I the way. I came
1: up with The Dark Knight, which I like better than Batman Begins. That's Batman fair. Begins was just confusing to me. I haven't even seen that more than once, but it was just like a lot of subterfuge and people in prison pits and
0: well the prison pit is the third one he's in prison and batman begins but i think the first half of batman begins is the best of the nolan batman movies but then the second half Uh is weak, so i'd say the dark knight is stronger overall so that one i agree with And it skirts my rule, which I'll get into. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm
1: playing fast and loose with your rules, which I didn't know existed until just before we started recording. I also put the Empire Stripes back on here, which that's a very qualified, better than the original. It's more fun for me than the original. It has more Star Wars payoff in the things that I wanted from Star Wars. But, of course, I wouldn't have wanted those things if the first movie hadn't been there to set all them up. I want good Han Solo action, I want good fighting action, and it has all those things in spades, and it has humor and just a spirit that the first one didn't have. The first Star Wars is such a beautifully constructed story that I just love it, but Empire Strikes Back, it hit me at that time in my life, so it just has a lot of meaning, and I value it higher.
0: It is my favorite of the original trilogy as well, but that's my issue is that it's the middle part of a trilogy. Mm -hmm. I don't really feel like it's a sequel, because it can take some storytelling risks and go some places that it probably wouldn't have been able to go if it had to wrap up the entire story Um. by the end of the movie it can leave you hanging and doesn't need to resolve itself too neatly because it's going to be back in three years with the real conclusion to the story. So it gives you an hour.
1: You're saying you can just line some of your favorite cast members up in front of a space window and have them wave bye-bye to a spaceship and go, that's the end of the movie. See you later. We'll see what happens next time. (laughs) And you could say, well, but John, The Dark Knight is the second of a (laughs) trilogy too. But
0: Nolan never wanted to make that third movie. He made The Dark Knight thinking it was a sequel and then he was going to be done, but they threw a bajillion, quadrillion dollars at him. And he was like, fine, I'll make this weird Occupy Wall Street movie with Bane if you guys right. force me to. It's my Bane impression. That's I good. wondered what would break first, your spirit or your body. That was effective. Um, if you could just dub Tom Hardy yeah. over me.
1: It would I be can put a little great. effect on it to give you the mask sound.
0: Your spirit or your body. Also, it always bothered me that I'm going on a rant here, but it bothered me that Gotham looks so... Different from The Dark Knight to The Dark Knight Rises. Oh. Like they filmed The Dark Knight thing pretty much all in Chicago and it looks like Chicago. Okay. And then yeah. The Dark Knight Rises is like all Pittsburgh. Is it? I'm pretty okay. sure. And it, they just look like wildly different cities. And then, of course, they film some parts in downtown, like they go to the Wall Street Stock Exchange and film scenes there. But it's, I don't know, it, it doesn't feel like a consistent city. From one movie to the next. I'm not a big fan oh. of The Dark Knight Rises, but that's not okay. Right sure. There. Anyway, Empire Strikes Back, better movie than Star Wars, I agree, but as it's the middle part of a trilogy, I couldn't pick it for mine.
1: That's fair we're laying down the rules. This is our first mailbag. So we're only hammering these things out for the first time. It's true. We're making it up as we go along, but
0: that's long been a rule of mine when discussing favorite sequels is that if it was envisioned as part of a trilogy that I don't throw it out there. And I think Randy from Scream had that rule
1: (laughs) too. Okay. You and Randy teaming up on me here. I get it. I know when I'm beat.
0: Um, From Roy, at Roy O'Roy he asked, Troy Duffy, is he the worst? Now you're not as well versed in in the Troy Duffy lore.
1: No, I had to do a little research just to get on a page where I could know who we're talking about. And now I do, but I I didn't come into it with any opinion. So I will let you make the judgment. Is Roy Duffy, Troy Duffy, the worst?
0: Roy Duffy, if you're talking (laughs) about Royal Roy, I don't know if his last name is Duffy, (laughs) but he's a fine, he's a fine gentleman. Roy's the uh, best.
1: Troy Duffy may not
0: be. (laughs) Troy Duffy is absolutely the worst. So Boondock Saints is a very interesting story. And if you want to know more about why Troy Duffy is the worst, I highly recommend seeking out the documentary overnight. Which was basically filmed by Troy Duffy while he was in the process of writing, selling, and producing The Boondock Saints. A movie that was very important to a lot of 13-year-old boys because it seemed very profound at the time. I speak (laughs) from experience. I was a big fan of The Boondock Saints for a while. I no longer have those feelings for it because I watched it as an adult and I don't think it holds up at all. Okay,
1: we were just talking about this nostalgia that gets later disavowed. This is the case.
0: And The Boondock Saints will be covered. I put it on the schedule for my birthday. I thought, that would be a fun treat for me (laughs) in June. So yes, we were scheduled way out. So anytime you're talking about the boondock saints overnight is required viewing. You quickly learn that he's just an absolute monster to everyone in his life. He strong arms Harvey Weinstein throughout the movie, which might seem an admirable thing, but it's not like he's doing it from any kind of moral high ground. Like they're Uh both the worst and just going at it. And of course, Harvey Weinstein ends up with the upper hand eventually. So it doesn't even get a happy ending in that sense. But he has this band and they're terrible. And he's like, part of if you want to buy my movie, you got to sign my band. Like we want a major label release. We're going to do the soundtrack to the movie. But also he's terrible to his band and tells them they don't deserve any money because he's the star and he's making everything happen. He's terrible to his mom. He's just a really bad person. Wow. I don't know if he's still like this. I I check on his Twitter every once in
1: a while. You think maybe he's had a reckoning? He's done a little growth?
0: Yeah. He self-financed the sequel to the Boondock Saints called All Saints Day uh-huh. that I don't think was that well received. I can't say for sure if I ever actually saw it. It came out long after the original uh-huh. movie was released and after that i think he's pretty much been persona non grata right. in hollywood I don't, I don't think he'll be back anytime soon so yeah maybe he's had a chance to step back and look at his actions and how they've affected his life and career but i can't say for sure because he doesn't okay. get a lot of interviews
1: well we'll have to keep him in the worst category until he proves otherwise yeah have you ever seen boondock saints no i've seen clips from it i know what it is and i have a little sense of how bonkers it is but i'm gonna have to come to it fresh for when we get around to it all
0: right right. So, A.D.H. Dean, our our buddy Dean, Dean. wants to know, John Wick or John McClane.
1: Good question. Fun question. Good question.
0: Different dudes go about their work differently.
1: Yeah. And it's open to what does this mean? Now, for me personally, I would go John Wick if I needed more people killed, but I very rarely need the quantity of people killed. It's rarely my most important thing. So, I'm going McLean. Because of the way I relate to Bruce Willis, I guess, I see him as more my generation, although they're both substantially older than I am. And I explored this within myself and my feeling of why I see John McClane as sort of the older hero, which appeals to me as a middle-aged guy. I'm like, oh, he was a middle-aged hero. Bruce Willis was 33 in 88 when the first Die Hard came out. Keanu was 50 when the first John Wick came out, just like way older. There's no logical reason. I should definitely relate to Keanu more. But for some reason, I went with John McClane.
0: See, I don't think there's any category here where I, I would pick John McClane. The John Wick movies speak to me okay. way more, even though I think they're getting a little ridiculous. They're going too far with the world building. There's almost too much lore now where okay. everyone you meet on the street is some kind of top secret assassin or answering to some higher, the high table, they're called, like the organization that controls all the assassins. You go to right. the laundromat. Guess what, buddy? The guy who works there, he's a fucking assassin. It's getting a little out of hand. But that being said, there's two Die Hard movies I really like. I like the first one and Uh I like the third one. Die Hard with a Vengeance is my favorite Die Hard movies. The rest of them, like two is okay. Four is not great. And I think there was only five and five is just Dog shit. So movie wise, it's three to two of movies I really enjoy. Okay, that's fair. And, I don't know. John Wick just seems like a cool guy. He likes dogs, got a lot of guns. Yeah, um, the,
1: the doggy part is just very charming.
0: I would just like to sit down at a bar and have him drop a gigantic ornate gold coin <laughs> on the bar and be like, two drinks for me and my buddy. And I don't know why all the drinks cost a giant ornate <laughs> gold coin. They do.
1: I can't disagree with that. That would be pretty
0: awesome. That hotel, the Continental, looks sweet. Like, I wouldn't mind staying there. I don't know. The world of John Wick just seems really interesting. And Keanu is just a charming armor. Yeah. Can you say about him that hasn't already been said? He's, he's the a real best, deal. So. And Bruce Willis is kind of an asshole. Yeah.
1: So. I might've picked wrong. There's
0: no wrong pick. It's about how you related to John McLean yeah. in your youth. And I certainly understand that. Oh, yeah.
1: You bring it around to people that is meaningful to me. And certainly I'm willing to stand behind Keanu and not at all behind Bruce Willis. So,
0: you know, part of what made John McLean so compelling was his every right? and the movies have chipped away at that too over the years where now he's some kind of top secret able to shoot down a helicopter. There was a whole office scene talking about how the movie has made him into just like a Rambo figure. Right. That completely undermines what people found so interesting about the first movie, was that he was the underdog the entire time. Yeah, I got
1: to say, I based my conclusion on this almost exclusively on the first movie, because I crystallized him there in my mind. Yeah, and I
0: think the third one did a good job of bringing it back to that, where he always Uh looks hungover and just annoyed that he has to be doing this. Yeah. And plus you got Jeremy Irons just given an all-time great villain performance. That movie rules. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Best Die Hard movie, including the first one. That's my hot take.
1: I got to go back to it. It's been a long time.
0: (laughs) It's worthwhile. From 51st Tates at 51st Tates from Twitter. This question, we're not going to spend too long on this (laughs) one. because It's a pretty cut and dry answer. He asked, isn't it at least possible that Will Forte redeems That's My Boy to the point where it's a fantastic
1: movie? And the answer is no. No, of course not. That's no. uh, that's not a real question. No. We know Tate, as he is sometimes known to his friends, but not always. He's fucking with us.
0: He he genuinely enjoys this movie, though, okay. which I find uh, very upsetting.
1: Well, yeah, that's frightening to <laughs> he me. He said
0: this is like one a movie him and his friends all love to oh, watch together. God. And I was like, oh, geez. But no, That's My Boy is closer to ruining Will Forte than Will Forte is to saving yeah, That's My absolutely.
1: Boy. absolutely. For as cool and badass as Will Forte is, in my mind, he was like looking over the edge, man. He almost went over the cliff and crashed and burned.
0: Crashed to the rocks and then got shot <laughs> yeah, with a grenade. I realized that Dieter von Kunt-
1: I was actually reliving a metaphor in my mind, a visual metaphor. <laughs>
0: you were. the end of McGruber. All right. From Matt from Brooklyn. This is Matt with okay. one T, by the way. It's important that we note that. Worst questions with the best soundtracks. Worst movies with the best soundtracks. So, worst (laughs) movies with the best soundtracks and vice versa. So, best soundtrack to the worst movie and best movie with the worst soundtrack. For the first part of this question, there's a lot of choices. I feel like there's a lot of bad movies out there with pretty good soundtracks. Judgment Night, I'm throwing out there as a famous one that has a really cool rap rock hybrid soundtrack from before New Metal was really a thing so much. And Crow City of Angels was just another great 90s rock soundtrack to Two movies that I've never actually okay. seen, Judgment Night, but okay. I know it's bad, and Crow City of Angels, I fucking hated. But then actually, you threw out a answer to this one that I wanted to agree with as well. Can I step on no, your limelight a little bit Yeah. Here? Yeah, you brought up Phantom Menace, yeah. and I absolutely have to agree because Duel of the Fates is just an all time great uh, Star Wars song, maybe the okay. best Star Wars song at this point, and that plays during the climactic duel between Darth Maul, right. Qui Gon Jinn, and Obi Wan Kenobi. But the Phantom Menace fucking sucks. I'm not right. part of this group that thinks the prequels were good on our Ironically, I think there's stuff to enjoy in, in all of them, but I don't think they're good in VC. No,
1: they're pretty bad. And even if John Williams hadn't written a new classic theme like that one, what is it called? Duel of the Fates? Duel yeah. of the Fates is the bum, That's like a choral part in there. Yeah, even if he hadn't established something new, he still hit all the classic hits, and that makes that score better than 99% of every score ever written. Yeah, John
0: Williams, uh, absolute master. For the second part of the question, though, now this is controversial. And again, this is kind of a cop out because I was having a hard time coming up with an answer for a movie I really like with a soundtrack I hate, but I'm going to go Inception. And again, it's not Inception's fault because I think Inception's score is very effective within the movie it's just what it did to movies in its wake with the yeah the bra became such a fixture of every movie and trailer for the next decade and it's gotten so obnoxious that sound makes sense Within the movie, there's an explanation for it because it's the very slowed down version of the, isn't it an Edith Piaf song? Yeah, I believe that's correct. So that's like a string being hit, but in, in a very slowed down tempo or a trumpet. I can't remember exactly what the part of the song it is that's making that noise, but it actually has a narrative purpose within the movie and also yeah. works as a score, but it's just been co-opted and ruined by every action movie. Sense. The thing <laughs> is, it just
1: really works in terms of as a style of scoring. It's easier to just do a big. Noise than to write a good melody. And so we've gone away from melodic scores. We've gone away from the John Williams where everything was very melodic and there were leitmotifs and neo-romantic style. And so it's natural that a new style would take over. It's weird that it has such a simple, single, iconic element that is repeated so derivatively. But maybe that's just the most obvious part to spot. And the other elements of modern action scoring are also frequently copied, but they just don't register. Stir as strongly as the noise that blows you out of your seat in the theater?
0: That could be. That, that's possible. <laughs> all right. What have you got for me now that I shit all over Hans Zimmer? No, I love Hans Zimmer. Great composer. Not his fault. Yeah, so <laughs> I
1: came up with some more subtle ones. As uh, I was saying to you before, I'm not that great at the superlatives. I don't have that big catalog of movies in my head where I can make ranked lists. And so anything I throw out is just, oh, this seems interesting at the time. I don't necessarily cling to the idea that this is the worst and best combo, but something I noticed and have stuff that's in my brain right now is from our pod. So I'm just going to keep referencing recent episodes. We did Ishtar and Ishtar has some really difficult to listen to songs that are in the movie by design I think by design but it also has this really good score and it's written by Dave Grusin who has written tons of scores and won an Oscar at least once has a bunch of nominations and it's just some classic Hollywood film music but you barely get to hear it and I I wanted to hear more and when we did the episode I tried to hear more you can only hear it in the film because the movie did so badly so quickly they never released a soundtrack album so that was my one little example of something that was historically thought of as Stinker maybe the worst movie of all time we didn't actually believe it to be More than just mildly bad. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But that actually has some really cool music that I wish I could have heard more of. On the good movie side, I picked a combo of the Addams Family and the Addams Family Values. Oh, good. good, good Great (laughs) movies have incredible scores. Mark Shaman's scores for these are these. Very idiosyncratic in this Adams Family gothic, kooky, high-energy style and just beautiful melodies. It's so well written. They just take you to all these places that you wouldn't think you would be able to put on the score and listen to it and get into it because it's so like weird. Like, I don't want Adam's family kooky spooky music dragging me around the kitchen when I'm trying to make a sandwich, but like it's intoxicating. It just makes you want to keep listening. That's the good part. The bad part are the soundtrack songs that Barry Sonnenfeld picked for (laughs) both of these. In the first movie, MC Hammers Adam's Groove, which is by far the better of the two, and it's still a pretty crappy tossed-off song. And then the really bad one from Adam's Family Values was Tag Team's Adam's Family womp, There it is which is just the cheapest knockoff of their own song.
0: God, that song is fucking just, horrible.
1: It's so bad. And it's just so obviously bad. It's like, okay, I need you to make a whoop. There it is. But say Adam's family in it. And they're like, okay, we could do that. Give us 10 minutes. We'll get it to you.
0: And now they're doing it with ice cream. Have you seen oh, yeah. this scoop, scoop? There it, there it is. It is? Uh, I don't know.
1: That's cheesy too, but I, I found them more charming than I did when they were leaning into it in the end credits of Adam's family values.
0: Yeah. That, that commercial has very polarized <laughs> yeah. reactions from people I've noticed. Some people really hate it, but yeah, I'm more on your side. I
1: think yeah, it's fine. I was ready to hate it, and then I saw their faces, and they just won me over because they were being cute and softened me.
0: Yeah, and they're older. Happy for them to cash in on their big yeah. hit one more time. From Craig, he asks, "What is the worst movie you've ever seen, and was it a bomb?" I think we alluded to this earlier. I think that's my boy. Might be the worst movie I've ever sat through, beginning yeah. to end. And I would have gotten up and <laughs> walked away from my TV if I could have, but I had to finish it for the podcast. Also, the room. Uh, a lot of ironic affection for the room sure. has sprung up in recent years. But I think it's easy to lose sight of how bad that movie is if you just watch it with the blinders off and and actually take it in for what it is. And it's important to note Tommy Wiseau was not making this movie. Ironically, he he really thought he was making a masterpiece. Do not believe anything he ever says that indicates otherwise. Oh, yeah. He
1: tried to spin it later that he was in on the joke. He was definitely (laughs) not in on the joke. He was the joke. He was the joke. But the room is terrible for its incompetence in every way, the writing and the acting and the filmmaking. But That's My Boy has competent writers, fine actors, strong professional Hollywood filmmaking, and it's so offensive in its content that, like, I'm with you.
0: And unfunny. You know, the cardinal sin of a comedy, it doesn't make you laugh, like, a movie can make you laugh in a way where you feel bad. I think the Hangover movies can do that yeah, at times. I know what you mean. But that's my boy doesn't even no. achieve that.
1: <laughs> it turned me off so hard that even if it had some good jokes, you didn't want to let it in at any point. It didn't though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to throw in Crash. I don't know how controversial that take is in this day and age.
0: Are we talking Cronenberg or, or uh, Haggis? Haggis? Okay. Yeah, you're right on that. The, That's uh, a good call. I hate yeah, that.
1: <laughs> that one stuck out. That was from an era when I wasn't paying that much attention to movies, which was right up until earlier this year when I became a movie podcaster. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that one just stuck in my mind. It's like, I'm really mad at this movie. And uh, I did not like it. But it was not a bomb. It was a huge success, made over 100 million bucks.
0: One Best Picture, yeah, too. I- somehow. It's a fucking travesty. <laughs> yeah, that movie sucks. It pains me because... I like seeing Matt Dillon and stuff. I feel like he doesn't pop up in a lot of things anymore. And that was like his big movie at the time. And, and, I hate it. Yeah. I hate it so much. But Wayward Pines, that's a good okay. Matt Dillon thing. It's, guys are into. it's a show. We have
1: Matt Dillon for ourselves.
0: Yeah. Sean O'Brate asks, what movie in the works could be the biggest bomb and which movie could break Avatar's record? When we first got this question, we were going to record this earlier, yeah. I thought No Time to Die was definitely on track to be a huge bomb. And it seems like that was correct because it had a $940 million break-even point officially. Yeah.
1: It's wild. I guess COVID is responsible for rab- Backing up the cost, delaying the movie as much as it did is what caused additional... Yeah,
0: they had to pay for three marketing campaigns, essentially, because uh, they got so close to releasing it a couple times where they'd already paid for trailer time and ad placements, and then they ended up abandoning that release date because of COVID, and they don't have a built-in streaming revenue because the Broccoli family is very adamant that their Bond movies go to theaters first right. and have a true theatrical window. Before they get put on streaming. Okay. It's tough to blame them. That seems like bad of their hands. So I take no pleasure in that movie losing a ton of money. But only Skyfall has ever broken a billion dollars as far as Bond movies goes. Uh-huh. It was set up to fail because this movie ain't Skyfall, judging by the reviews. Yeah,
1: I was thinking when I first saw those big numbers on the break-even, I'm like, damn, what's in this movie? The special effects are going to blow my mind. They spent $900 million <laughs> on the stunts. But it wasn't quite that. It was an expensive movie, but it just it got into a hole. I think the budget
0: was in the two hundreds or high one hundreds. So with that out of the way, I think my answers are another long delayed movie in a franchise. I think Death on the Nile is setting itself up to oh, be okay. a big failure. Is that a big
1: budget movie?
0: I think I saw ninety million okay. as the budget, which is pretty big yeah. for a movie of that kind of adult for a murder drama, mystery. Yeah, yeah, skewing towards older audiences. I know the Orient Express was kind of a surprise hit, but now you're three years removed from mm-hmm. that by the time okay. this movie's going to come out, maybe more army hammer playing a prominent Ooh. role in the movie. So he's not going to be doing any publicity right. or marketing for it. I'm sure. And I just think the appetite for a sequel's probably dwindled away as COVID ate into its goodwill that had built up with the original. So I could see that one flopping hard. And Wonka, the Chalamet Wonka, Uh I think. People just are over that character. I think Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is not well thought of now. It made money when it came out. but People don't like that movie, and I think it soured the character for a little while.
1: (laughs) What a weird character that was from the start and the relationship it's had with the public over the years passing through its various Wonkas. But yeah, just judging by the jokes about the uh, Chalamet chocolate hat pick that went around Twitter, nobody was like, but wait, don't make fun of it because it's going to be awesome. And I can't wait to see it. No, that was no, not the discourse. No defenders popping up. Yeah, and we love
0: Timmy. Timothy Chalamet, great Absolutely. young actor. Oh, we're excited to see him in Dune. Call Me By Your Name is a great movie, a great performance yeah. in it. So it's nothing against him. But as far as what I think could beat Avatar's record, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon just with the the... the box office landscape mid-COVID. I don't even think the Avatar sequels have a chance. I don't think the Avatar sequels would have a chance regardless. I don't think anyone really cares. The Batman, I think, is the next movie that could realistically break a billion dollars at the box office, though. The buzz on this movie is huge and people seem to be really into it. I'm
1: avoiding the buzz. I'm excited if that's true. I don't want to get my hopes up, but I do think right now only a superhero movie could get into that upper stratosphere, but it would also have to be a surprising superhero movie and maybe the Batman can be that movie.
0: Yeah, it'd have to be a superhero movie with a well-known character that's actually good. It's
1: actually good. Breaks the (laughs) mold, I think. Marvel just milked their mainstream characters to the end of their natural lifespan. And now they're going deeper and doing interesting stuff, bringing out different characters.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for The Eternals. I think it's going to be a good movie. I think Chloe Zhao's a huge talent, but it's The Eternals. Like I read comics my entire life and I'm barely familiar with them. We're getting into the dregs of Marvel characters, but I fucks with Matt Reeves, a good director. Big fan of his. So, those Planet of the Apes movies he made were way better yeah. than they needed to be. I'm a big Cloverfield fan. I know it's polarizing. Okay. Did that first one. And I really enjoyed that. And he did the Let Me In, the American remake. Oh, of yeah. Let that the was right nice. Man. I liked that. Yeah, it was a good movie. So, yeah, I think the Batman's got a shot at breaking a billion, but I don't think there's anything on the horizon that's going to touch Avatar three, four years until we're fully out of the COVID. Yeah, landscape, we need to get into a new era. Which. Hopefully it will be in there. <laughs> yeah. There's going to have to be something that's not even in pre-production yet because I can't find anything that gives okay. me hope. Jason with a J asks, what are your top three bombs? What bombs do you think most people don't know about, but definitely need to watch? I'm not sure if Jason meant this as a two-parter, but I took it as one. Okay.
1: Because it's a fun question. Yeah, definitely. It's our wheelhouse.
0: Yeah. So my top three bombs overall, I went Scott Pilgrim and Shawshank, which we have full episodes on if you want to hear me wax poetic about them. Oh, yeah. But I don't want to take up too much time getting into them here, but they're both both great movies for different reasons, obviously. And then Zodiac, which is in my top three movies of all time. Right. And that's just... A absolute tour de force, Fincher's best movie in my opinion. Robert Downey Jr.'s best performance, Jake Gyllenhaal's best performance. It does. I don't. I wonder if I rewatch it now, knowing that Arthur Lee Allen is not the Zodiac killer, would oh, diminish yeah. the movie for I me. I don't want to let
1: reality taint a really cool, good movie.
0: Hopefully not. Uh, so, what do you got for your three top, and then we'll get into our lesser known
1: picks. Yeah. So, I really love your three tops. I picked different things because I had the advantage of seeing yours, and I'm like, well, let me not overlap, so I can talk about other movies. But any of yours could have easily gotten into my top three. I put Spinal Tap because it's all time comedy movie for me and also just formative to me as we discussed when we talked about it. I put Blade Runner on there because it's also super meaningful to me. I had a long relationship with that film. I don't know that it moves me on the level of some of these other things in terms of just the joy of watching them, but it means so much. It's just way deep down in the embedded part of my brain. And then I put Princess Bride in there too, which oh, good one. is just super, just a wonderful piece of writing and acting and filmmaking that I just love very much. It's corny to love Princess Bride probably today, but...
0: I don't think so. I I think it's one of those movies that kind of transcends coolness. I don't think anyone's going to give you a hard time for loving The Princess Bride. That's good. It's almost universally beloved as far as I can tell. Yeah, it's nice
1: to think that it hasn't crumbled. Nobody in the cast became too problematic to revisit and (laughs) it's harder and harder to do these days. Sure
0: is. Uh, Actually, when I met my wife, she had these two bottles of wine and they're called The Bottle of Wits. And oh. it's an inconceivable cab and an as you wish white. And there are oh, these wow. two little princess bride themed bottles of wine that we still have, as far as I know, in our liquor cabinet locked up somewhere. I don't think we'll ever have to. Oh, them. I thought
1: she was going to like pour two glasses and go, Should you drink the glass in front of you? <laughs> or would you drink the glass in front of me?
0: I think that's the idea. <laughs> but yeah, we like them as a little collectible. And I don't think it's the quality of wine that like ages super well. You're not so.
1: keeping it for that special occasion. It's,
0: no, we're not cellaring it or anything. It <laughs> just like looks that. good on the shelf. Yeah, exactly. No, good choices. And then lesser known, I went all like dark Mm sci-fi. I'm starting to wonder what's going on in my brain. I went Dark City, which we're going to have to talk about someday because uh, there was a long time when Dark City was my favorite movie for a long stretch of my life before No Country for Old Men took the mantle. And it's just a, a super effective, creepy, moving, smart, haunting movie. Also, it's got Jennifer Connelly at that point in her life was just the absolute mega crush of my life. And it certainly reinforces that. And Rufus Sewell in the lead, he's not a conventional leading man, but it accentuates the otherness of him in the movie because he's kind of a part.
1: I don't know. Have you ever seen it? You know what? I think I did. I'm looking at it now. I can picture his face and I can picture some of the dark shadowiness. And I just remember I saw a weird movie called Dark City, but I couldn't tell you anything else about it. So I'll have to revisit it. Fresh.
0: Written and directed by Alex Proyas. He also directed The Crow. And then he's had a mixed bag since then. So it seems like this might have been his apex. But yeah, it was like lightning in a bottle for me. I don't know. When I saw it, it it really grabbed me and didn't let go. Until this day, every time I watch it, I I wonder if it had something to do with when I saw it in my life. Is this going to hit the same way now? Uh It always does. It hasn't lost anything for me. Yeah, And then Strange Days, which... I love, but this movie's frustrating for me because I really want to do an episode about it, but it's impossible to watch. Oh. written by James Cameron okay. and directed by his then wife, Catherine Bigelow. Okay. But it's so good and it was really interesting at the time. It's considered sci-fi, but it's also got some heavy neo-noir elements. It's it's in a really dirty, grimy world.
1: And it's impossible to watch like it hasn't been released on any digital formats, or
0: yeah. If you want to buy a DVD, you pretty much gotta buy a used copy secondhand for a ton of money. And it's also not. Oh. Streaming anywhere. I don't know what it is about the rights to the movie. It's gotten tied up somehow. it's become like a... Strange days, yeah. And it's become like a collector's thing. If you sail the high seas of the internet, you can find it to be sure. Okay, But you know, that's not the same as as having a physical copy of it on Blu-ray or whatever. And it was well-received. It obviously bombed horribly. Uh, This is like one of the financial disasters of the 90s. It had a $42 million budget and only made $8 million. So hugely disappointing for a movie that had James Cameron on as an executive producer and screenwriter. And cool stars.
1: I remember I pictured when you said... Strange days, I see Ray Fine's face. And I remembered Angela Bassett in it.
0: Ray finds Angela Bassett, Tom Sizemore just being very Tom Sizemore-y, like super scumbag. (laughs) Looks like he smells like cheese. Classic Uh, (laughs) Sizemore scumbag. And for you, it's it's probably interesting because it's like a very LA movie. People always bring it up as one of the great LA movies in terms of just Does it take place on
1: rooftops, downtown rooftops? Yes. That's what I picture.
0: So you get a lot of like wide shots of the city and you can see how they dressed it up. But just a really good movie and sadly forgotten to time. I, I think it's starting to get a little bit of a- a reevaluation. It wasn't critically received poorly at the time. It just bombed with audiences, but now I think people are trying to discover it, and it's frustrating because they just can't.
1: Yeah, it seems like <laughs> it could be making money for somebody in somebody's library. Why wouldn't it be?
0: And then my third one was Pandorum, which is a really fun Sci-fi horror movie, very much in the vein of Event Horizon, less graphically violent, but with just a bonkers Ben Foster performance. If you want me to be into a movie that I might otherwise write off, throw Ben Foster in there because he's just chewing up the scenery, doing a great job. Good cast, like really good production value for the budget they had. Also, clearly uh, we're discovering I'm a sucker for like sci-fi horror. Yeah. so It tickles that note. So check that out. If, if you liked Event Horizon or Alien or Jason X or Sunshine, the Danny Boyle which is not really a horror movie but similar people trapped on a spaceship and right. weird stuff happening Pandoramas cool.
1: I didn't even know about Pandoramas another one to add to my list to check out my lesser knowns I don't know if they're that lesser known. I put The Nice Guys on there because if anyone doesn't know about that, they need to know about that. That's one of my favorite movies. Absolutely. Uh, I put Buckaroo Banzai on there. Is that like a movie that everyone knows or is it just me?
0: I'm not going to lie to you, Ian. I've heard the name before. I couldn't okay. tell you a fucking thing about Buckaroo <laughs> okay. Banzai or what it is. So, I, so you're dead on with that one.
1: <laughs> I did find a real cult classic bomb. It's got John Lithgow and Jeff Goldblum in it, but it stars Peter Weller, who is similar to your guy in Dark City. A face that you like, but like, why is that guy the leading man kind of guy? And just a really trippy movie. Like, I haven't even seen it since the whatever decade I won't mention, but it was an 80s movie, uh, but super trippy. Maybe that'll be something that I try to drag onto our schedule at some point. Cause I just loved it. Peter Weller as a fucking super scientist, superhero who also played a white Strat in a rock band. And for after that, time in my life. I'm like, the white Stratocaster is the coolest guitar ever. And it's that stuck with me. I'm looking
0: at this cast right now. Yeah. There's some people in here, man. Yeah. Christopher Lloyd, Ellen Barkin, Clancy Brown, oh, Jonathan Banks from Breaking oh, Bad right. is in oh, this wow. one. That's neat. Yeah, that's cool. I would check this out. i okay. will throw it on the list. I didn't have it on there. so That would
1: be a weird one. And then I put nice Children pick. of Men, which also I feel like everybody must obviously know about because it's a classic sci-fi of the modern era. And yet maybe some people don't. So if you didn't, now you know, please watch it.
0: Yeah. Children of Men is an absolute classic. One of the most uh, upsetting movies you could watch and still enjoy. Like It toes that line very closely, but I'm a big fan of that movie. And it makes me lament Clive Owen's career. Like why he didn't get to do more in movies, because I think he's capable of being yep. very good. And he was apparently very close to being James Bond before oh, okay. Daniel Craig yeah. had the-
1: That could have changed the whole- Arc of- yeah,
0: yeah, and I think you got a glimpse of how he could play that and his role in The Bourne Identity, oh, okay. which I think he's not on screen for very long, but he does a great job with a, a short amount of time in that movie. He's
1: cool, but he's so much more vulnerable. Uh-huh. He's not an action hero in Children of Men. He's an, an accidental guy that gets dragged into some deep shit. And as he has a soulfulness that's really cool. It really works for that role.
0: Yeah, we got to yeah. cover that movie. So good. There's so much to talk about with it. So our friend Jack, oh, I don't know if we're allowed to see his <laughs> name. Our friend at Hans Gruberton from Twitter asked... Which movie protagonist do you? Wait, most we should say to? it's
1: Hans Gruber Tron. Hans Gruber Tron. I oh, it is Hans robot Gruber Tron. Hans Gruber. Is that the idea? I never really interrogated his handle before, but I think that's what that is.
0: You're right. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot more sense. All right cool.
1: Yeah. Sorry, buddy. We didn't pay that much attention, but we love you. And your question, which movie protagonist do you most relate to? Yeah. What do you got for me? I, I went with a weird one. I said Charlie Kaufman from Adaptation, but also his twin brother, Donald Kaufman, maybe Donald Moore in some ways, because I'm like big on to Robert McKee. I don't know if you know the relationship between there's a real life Charlie Kaufman, obviously, who wrote the movie. There's a fictionalized version right. of himself in the movie. There's a fictionalized version of real life screenwriting guru, Robert McKee in that movie, giving a lecture and I listen to actual Robert McKee audiobooks of his screenwriting books and his real voice and his real attitude is actually quite similar to what's his name from Succession who plays him in the movie. Cox? Yeah. Brian Cox. Oh, Sons.
0: Brian Cox. Yeah. My, probably my least film head take is that I don't really enjoy Charlie oh, Cox okay. movies. I find them impenetrable. Like I know that they're good and it's not that I don't like any of them. He wrote Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind*. Yeah, too, didn't he? that
1: one is so sad that I've never gone back to it after my first watch. I was affected by it, and I thought it was great, but I was like, I can't live through that again.
0: Yeah, I did like it. But he's being and... John Malkovich.
1: But Adaptation is the one that really worked for me because its meta qualities, they allow the movie to function normally. It doesn't derail reality the way John Malkovich does, it would take you into a, a totally absurdist world. It's just a slight pivot from the real world, and it's really fun. I just love what it says about screenwriting, about filmmaking about books about authors and i don't know it's just it's really neat
0: all right interesting i might have to give adaptation a rewatch based on your endorsement of it there and also i want to see who ian (laughs) how ian thinks of himself
1: (laughs) the balding nick cage (laughs) yeah this guy is
0: yeah i went with a little more of an obvious pick but i went with llewellyn moss played by Josh Brolin in No Country for Old Men, which I've said many times is my favorite movie, mostly because of the way he is aware of how terrible the choices he's making in his life are, but he (laughs) continues to do them against his better judgment. I find that very relatable, especially when I first saw the movie. I feel like my life was out of control when I was watching myself do things that I didn't really understand. yeah,
1: okay, interesting.
0: I think that connected me to that character a lot. He has a lot of lines (laughs) lamenting his course of action, even though he's the one who has the power to change. And yeah, I don't know. That just really, I found that very relatable. That's cool.
1: But also just like one of the most badass, manliest men you could ever hope to see on the screen and aspire to be like.
0: Yeah, not that part. I don't know, relate to that part at all. I'm not like, I'm not nearly as handy as him. I can't weld or hunt, fill up a jug with water. I'm not good at any of that stuff. Can't turn down a beer. No. Nah. Yeah, no, he is a great character. He's just outmatched in that movie by, you know, the literal Terminator, as anyone would be. Such we a good love movie. that movie. What movie is in desperate need of a remake in the year of our Lord 2021? What have you got for Um, me?
1: This was a tough one because I would have said Dune a couple years ago and then that got handled, came together in an awesome way, like best setup I could hope for in terms of directors and stars. So now I'm going to vote for Nosferatu, which is also coming together in an incredible way. It's in the works already by Robert Eggers, a filmmaker that we both love.
0: Yeah, I couldn't ask for a better guy to tackle that stuff. That's going to
1: be amazing. And then after I thought of that, I'm like, wait a minute, I would also really like to see a new Zorro because I lived through a couple generations of Zorros in my youth that were awesome and there's also one in the works for that too so basically Hollywood's doing everything you can't come up with something that is anything that hasn't at least been thought about whether you know about it or not publicly but, but Nosferatu and Zorro are ones that seem to be moving forward as productions and I'm excited for both
0: you know what movie I did enjoy that Zorro remake with Antonio Banderas yeah. from uh, yeah, like the totally 90s those were good yeah that was Martin Campbell the guy who did uh, Casino Royale oh, okay. and GoldenEye
1: yeah I go one generation further back too there was a uh, Uh, Zorro the Gay Blade back in the early 80s, maybe?
0: I think I saw that. I think my dad had Ah. that VHS, and I checked those old Zorro movies at his house, and that's why I was into Zorro at 11 years old when the Banderas (laughs) one came out.
1: So Yeah, so you lived through both. Yeah, that was George Hamilton. That's like throwback stuff, 1981, I'm seeing here. But I guess all the the Zoros have some level of camp and winkiness to them. It's interesting to see if they do away with that in the remake and do a fully gritty Zorro.
0: I hope not, man. Not everything needs to be gritty. Can we still have some fun at the movies (laughs) once in a while? I'm all for a dark and gritty movie. Obviously, you see my picks for like, but you know, Zorro is a property that doesn't need to be handled with that
1: much. (laughs) Let's have fun with Zorro. Yeah, we need to, yeah,
0: we need to have fun at the movies. Jason with a J, we got a follow-up question from him. What movie made you cry the most? I didn't think about this for more than a second. I knew immediately my answer to the question. It was a a strange experience. I was watching 50-50, not like a particularly great movie, a a decent enough movie with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Seth Rogen from the early tens, late aughts, I think it was was. And I don't know, there's a scene where they get into an argument and it's the night before Joseph Gordon-Levitt's supposed to have surgery because he has cancer and he locks Seth Green out of his car and is just punching his steering wheel and screaming. And I don't know, the whole scene made me weep. I, wow. I don't remember why. What was going through my mind at the time, what I was going through in my life at the time. Like I don't, I wouldn't say I cry often at movies, but that just elicited a completely unexpected response for me.
1: Yeah, that's neat. That's neat that movies can do that thing to you. And sometimes you don't know why. I don't know why a lot of times these days. I cry a lot at things I watch and it's usually the good things. I think my general feeling is like, oh my God, there's something good in the world. And I just witnessed a little slice of it in this movie or in this TV show. And then I get all choked up.
0: That's fair. Yeah, I could see that happening. If, if something good ever happens, I'm sure I, I might have that response.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I put down E.T., which is kind of an old, fogey, old-school cop-out. That was the first movie that I remember crying at as a kid, and that it was okay to cry at, that you could talk about with your friends, that, that you cried when you saw E.T., even though we were young boys who weren't as okay with crying as today's young boys. It wasn't tough. Yeah, it wasn't cool, but it, it just got to us. And I'm sure I've cried more in terms of tier volume since then, but that one just means something to me.
0: Yeah. I, I think I was too young when I saw E.T. and it just scared me. I, something about like his screams always haunted me. So I never was able to be vulnerable while watching the movie enough to to feel any emotion except fear. I was terrified of (laughs) E.T. as a kid. I don't know why. All right. Yeah. I think I talked about this a little bit on the thing episode, but yeah, I don't like that movie for that reason. I'd love to watch it again someday. I'm sure I will. Yeah. E.T. scared me, but I certainly can understand why it would elicit that from a certain age. Like
1: Elliot, I was probably the same age as Elliot or I was close enough that I could feel those feelings that he was going through.
0: Yeah. All right. Our final question. We've got a bit of a brain teaser. We'll try to do the math on this after the episode is released to come up with who was right, but. Our buddy Aaron at Human Aaron asks the biggest gap between a director's highest grossing movie and biggest bomb and I thought it would be fun If we just try to do this from memory without Googling, Uh because, you know, it's a question that you could easily find the answer to, I'm sure. But I said, no, let's try to come up with an answer just based on our film knowledge. So I was thinking Gore Verbinski. Reason being, he's directed a billion dollar movie with the I think it was the second Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest or the third one at World's End. But either way, one of those two cracked a billion. And then he also directed The Lone Ranger, which by some estimates is the biggest bomb of all time. Some people put it up there with John Carter or Mars Needs Moms. Like it's in that trio, depending on who's accounting you believe and what figures you believe it it could be the biggest bomb of all time. But he's had a very up and down career because then his last movie was A Cure for Wellness, which was also a huge bomb, even though I think that's a pretty cool movie that's getting a reevaluation now. But he made three Pirates of the Caribbean movies that made huge money. He made The Ring that made huge money. And then he's got two pretty big stinkers there with The Lone Ranger and A Cure for Wellness back to back. So that's my answer.
1: I think you got a pretty good shot there. I, without looking up and just again, everything I think of comes out of this show, I guessed Andrew Stanton because Oh yeah. I don't even know if I could tell you which of his Pixar movies did huge at the box office, but we know that John Carter tanked.
0: I think almost all of them did
1: very well. We know how badly John Carter tanked and I go, well, some of those huge Pixar names must have been mega earners and so... We'll do the math. I guess you want to try to put it in the show notes for this episode and to do the final accounting. We can do it. So yeah. Check the show notes.
0: Wow. We're going to be close because Finding Nemo made $950 million. Okay. He directed that. Oh, Finding Dory cracked a billion. Oh, so shit. let's say Finding Dory is his biggest, $1.03 billion. And then John Carter... What did John Carter end up losing? Exactly.
1: Aaron, you done good. You gave us a really good question. This is a fun game. It's it's just going to be neck and neck. We may not even be able to really declare a winner. uh, Say for sure, yeah.
0: We might have just come up with the two top (laughs) answers independently. Look at that. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good. But that wraps it up. That's all we got, right? Yeah, That's all the questions we had. That
1: was a fun mailbag. We chewed what? through it. Yeah. This was a blast. <laughs> you see <laughs> I what do. I did there?
0: Yeah, that was good. That was good stuff You're in by the man. zone. Oh, we're punchy. But seriously, uh, this was almost like a week off for us. We obviously didn't have to research as intensively as we do when we're covering a specific movie. But I mean, it was just really fun to share our personal takes without any attachments to a specific filmmaker or film to kind of tie them into a
1: little more off the cuff. We had a great time. This was fun to do.
0: Yeah. I think we can do one of these every six months to a year break out the regular schedule. And we've been doing this now for just over six months.
1: And the time and, goes by
0: so fast. Can you believe it? It's crazy, right? It's pretty wild, but I'm having a blast still. Yeah. I'm still having fun doing these every week. I hope you guys are still having fun listening Yeah, we hope so. we're in it for the long haul, not planning on stopping anytime soon.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you to our audience who thankfully keeps growing and we'd love to see that people are listening. That's what keeps us going, but we would keep going even if you weren't there because we care about this and we're <laughs> in it for the long haul, like John said, But but it sure does help. Keep yeah, but listening. still keep listening. Don't yeah, go we away don't, we don't. now.
0: <laughs> right. We appreciate having you there.
1: Tell your friends let people right. know come listen to us don't forget to subscribe
0: we'll be back next week with a fun episode I can actually tell you what it is because we yeah. know what it's going to be we're talking 2016's Ghostbusters just in time for yeah. Afterlife we're going to get into that one and yeah we've got to be, be timely
1: it's like we're stretching Halloween out because the ghosts are still around right Blastober's over
0: <laughs> yeah we, we did Adam's Family Values pretty close to Blastober and then we're following up with Ghostbusters but we definitely wanted to catch the zeitgeist when Afterlife is going to be the talk of yeah. the town for all the for, bad yeah, maybe for the wrong
1: out. reason but it's a little bit interesting
0: (laughs) all right maybe we'll cover afterlife in a couple years but for next week it's going to be 2016 ghostbusters so check that out and we'll see you next time in the blast zone
1: see you next time in the blast zone zone. Blasso